All right, good evening, everybody. How are we feeling tonight? Awesome. Heck yeah. Oh, man, you guys look great. You guys look great. All right. Well, welcome to Genesis. We're glad you guys are here tonight. And uh, you guys enjoy the pizza? Everybody? Yes. Awesome. I didn't get any. Sad. Uh, so, yeah. So, hope you enjoy the pizza. At, uh, at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you came through the door tonight that you felt welcomed. And I uh, also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we're glad that you're here tonight. Tonight we're continuing our series, Spoiler Alert, where we are finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Because as we've discussed, the entire Bible is about Jesus. And so we want to talk about these stories from the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And, and, and like we said, it serves as a foundation for the work of Christ and also an arrow that points to the work of Christ. And uh, I'm, are you guys cool with just jumping right in tonight? You guys good with that? Awesome. Cool. Well, tonight we're going to talk about a story that is a, uh, a Sunday school favorite, okay? So if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this, this story, uh, but it's still one that is very powerful. So tonight we're going to talk about Daniel, okay? I saw some lion shirts out there. Uh, who had one on? Oh, Carol had one on. Yes. So I should have worn mine. I wore mine last week, but it would have been very fitting for tonight. Um, but uh, if you would, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel if you have your Bible uh, or if you want to get, uh, click on it on your phone, whatever it may be. The book of Daniel is right between the book of Ezekiel and the book of Hosea, which we were in last week. Last week we talked to the story of Hosea and Gomer. And so Daniel is considered one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And so last week, we, like I said, we talked about Hosea, and he was a minor prophet. And so major and minor is really not like JV and varsity. It just basically means that major prophets just had more to say. And so and if you're, if you're interested in things like this, if you, if you look at the, the Old Testament uh, chronologically, like if you look at it like on a timeline, the book of Nehemiah is where it ends, okay? But obviously, if you look at your table of contents, that's not the last book of uh, the Old Testament. And so everything that happened in your, uh, everything that happened after Nehemiah in your table of contents happened in time before Nehemiah. And so I say all of that because the book of Daniel is set during the, the Babylonian exile that would be ended by Nehemiah. And so in the big picture in Daniel, we're really not too far from when Jesus would come to earth. So about 600 years. Okay, so we're, we're nearing the end of the Old Testament timeline in the book of Daniel. And the Israelites have, have just been taken captive by the Babylonians. They've been exiled from Israel, and, and they would actually stay in captivity for about 70 years. And Nehemiah would be the one that would bring them back, and it would begin this, this 400-year-long silence that would be ended by the angel visiting Mary and telling her she was going to have a, a, a son. And so, like I said, that might be interesting to some of you, but I just want to kind of give you like this bird's-eye view of where we're at tonight. And we're going to start in... Uh, chapter 1. So this is Daniel 1, 3 to 5. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, the same thing. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. 
And so the king of Babylon, he, he had just captured the nation of Israel, and he wanted to recruit the, the best of the best from the nation to work for him. And so he gathers like the, the brightest of the bright, the, the sharpest crayons in the box, the, the sharpest tools in the shed, the dean's list, the GPA, the high GPA people, you know, and he, he brings them close. And that wasn't me. Uh, I wouldn't have been picked. Um, and he brings them close with the intention of stripping them of their, their Israelite identity, uh, their education, their faith, their culture, to deconstruct what they believe, what they know, who they are, to then immerse and assimilate them into the Babylonian way of life. And so if you want to think about it this way, they were going to take everything that was Clemson orange, and they were going to paint over it with USC garnet and black, okay? So they're basically going to hit the reset button on their lives. Some of you are shaking your head, I know, Okay. That's, that's how we have to explain it in South Carolina, right? And so as the story progresses, there are four young adult men that he chooses. And their names were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, some of you may recognize those names as well. And the king would actually go as far as changing the names of these men to be named not, not like a, a different from their Hebrew names, actually named after the false gods that the Babylonians worshipped. And so the lives of these four men were radically changed. And to me, I see a lot of similarities in this compared to our context of life today. Maybe not to this extreme, but you got to think, I mean, these four guys, when they, were, when they were put into captivity, when they were chosen to serve the king, it's not like they lost their memory, right? They didn't have the men in black memory eraser, right? They, they, they walked into life in Babylon, still remembering life in Israel, still having their faith in God, still believing who, who God was and what God had done for them. And now they had this new influence in their life trying to get them to worship their false gods and not to worship the God that they knew. And I'm sure there was some, some wrestling in that, right? Like, well, this doesn't feel right. I, I know better than this. How often do we find ourselves there in our own life where, where we know what's right, we know what we want to do, but the pull of this world, the, the pull of, of sin, the pull of different influences try to pull us away from God. You know, it's kind of like in movies where they put like a little kid or a dog in the middle of two people. And they're both like, hey, come here, come here, choose me, come to me, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? That, that's a lot of times how life can feel, right? Where we are sometimes caught in the middle of choosing God or choosing the world. And both sides are pulling at us. That's the spot where these four guys are, are in right now. And so what do we do in those situations? Let's keep reading it and find out. This is verse 8 to 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. In other words, you better eat the food, okay? Eat the food. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that all the youths who ate the king's food, that, sorry, skip the line, and seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them 
vegetables. Okay, so in summary, what we see here is Daniel firmly deciding not to eat the king's food and not to drink the king's wine. And there are theories as to why he wouldn't defile himself, as the verses say. It's possible that, this is what I always thought it was, that it was possible the food that was being served to, to Daniel and these, these three other guys was against Jewish law. And so it was like unclean, which that explains that part of it, but the wine wasn't against the law. So that's not really like a full explanation. The best explanation for Daniel making this decision was that it was his way of retaining the last shred of identity that he had left. He's saying, listen, you can, yeah, you can immerse me in the culture. You can immerse me in the education and the way of life, but this one thing I can control. And so I'm not gonna eat the food. And so he made a deal. He said, okay, let, let me and my boys here just eat vegetables and drink just water for 10 days. And we're gonna be vegetarian for 10 days, juice cleanse, okay? Whatever, we're not gonna eat your food. And at the end of 10 days, we'll see who's better off. And so the diet that was being offered to them, it was, it was great in taste, but it wasn't the best health-wise. And so basically they're, they're saying like, hey, Dylan, what's your favorite fast food restaurant? Chick-fil-A? All right, oh man, I don't wanna hate on, I can't hate on Chick-fil-A. Uh, ben, what's yours? McDonald's. That's a great example. Okay. So basically they're saying, listen, you eat your McDonald's. Okay. It might taste great. Not the best for you. You eat your McDonald's for 10 days and I'll eat vegetables for 10 days and we'll see who's in better shape. Okay. Not shockingly after the 10 days, Daniel and the guys are more fit than the rest. And the King says, okay, that's cool. You can eat your vegetables. So in a situation like this, where it, where it feels like you're getting pulled in two directions, what do you do? You know, if you want to go back to that visual of being put in the middle and being influenced by two sides, by both sides, what we have to do is make a decision of what we're going to do before we find ourselves in the middle, right? If, if we wait until we're in the middle, if we wait until the king's food is placed in front of us, if we wait till the McDonald's is placed in front of us, we may not make the decision that we want to make, you know, I love the, the wording in verse eight. It says that Daniel resolved that he wouldn't eat the king's food. He was determined. He was purposed. He had made up his mind that he was gonna honor God with his life. And so Daniel shows us that, yeah, it's, it's possible to stay faithful to God, though you are surrounded by the things of the world. And the only way you can do that is by making up your mind who you will serve before you get into the situation. If you wait until you're hungry to decide between McDonald's and a salad, picking the salad's gonna be really hard. Choose who you're gonna serve before those situations come up. And so as the story progresses, the, uh, the four men found favor with the king. The king's name was King Nebuchadnezzar. They found favor with him. And over time, Daniel is promoted to a high office in their government. And in chapter three, we see a really well-known story, um, and I'm not gonna spend too much time here, but I, wanna, I want you to get one thing from it. And so King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3, he creates this golden statue uh, that, that he wants everyone to worship. And you know, we don't really know what it was of. It could have been of himself, you know, whatever. But he, he says that whoever doesn't fall down and worship this golden statue will be cast into the fiery furnace. They're cast into this oven and, and be burned to death. Well, as, as the story goes, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, so the three guys other than Daniel, they refused to bow down to the statue. And uh, again, you know, making up their mind who they'd serve before they got caught in the middle. And I mean, as you guys, most of you probably know the story. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. 
And as they are in the fiery furnace, we see this happen. This is Daniel 3, 24 to 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Yeah, that's what happened. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And so three men go into the fire, but everybody else was seeing four. And all four were walking around, not bound up, they're not burning, and they're, they're not harmed. And, and then the three of them walk out, none of them even smelling like smoke. And so tonight, you know, we're talking about Daniel. And like I said, Daniel wasn't in the fiery furnace. But the reason I didn't want to move past this story is because we're in a series where we're, we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And this story is a, a prime example of something known as a Christophany. Okay, this is a fancy word for something that, for an event that is believed by really smart people to be an appearance of Jesus before he came in the flesh as a baby. Okay, it's obviously like something you can't say, yeah, for sure that was Jesus, but it's, it's believed to be a, a, an event that that's what happened. And this story is probably the the most famous example, the most famous Christophany. There's one in Joshua. There's another one in Genesis where Jacob wrestled with God. And so in this, we see a, a foreshadowing that just as Jesus would save these men from the fire of the furnace, that he would one day rescue us from the fires of hell. That, that in him, that we would step out of the wrath of God unharmed, not even smelling like smoke. And so as time goes on in the story of Daniel, a story that that mirrors this one, the, mirrors the one of the fiery furnace takes place. And, uh, and, and though, you know, this one is going to be familiar as well, I, I pray that it would kind of take on new life for you tonight. At this point in the story, there is a new king in charge. So King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and, and there's a new king in charge. His name's King Darius. And there are some people that want Daniel dead. He's kind of lived his life. This is like older in his li- or later in his life. He's older in age. And there's some people that want him dead. But the problem is they can't find anything that he's done wrong to accuse him of. And so they approach the, the new king, King Darius, with an idea. And they said, listen, we know Daniel serves God. And so they convince King Darius to sign a law that says you can't worship anyone or anything other than King Darius for 30 days. And if you do, you'll get thrown into the lion's den. Now, for us, you know, like if this story is very familiar to you, you know, I, you, we might have become desensitized to the idea of a lion's den. And so I want to paint that picture for us tonight so that we can kind of grasp the severity of that, okay? Lions are no joke, okay? We all know that. To give you an idea, when we bite into our food, when you bit into that pizza tonight, you bit with about 150 pounds per square inch. Lions bite with 1,000 pounds per square inch. You ever been bit as a kid? That was only 150 pounds. Maybe not even that because you probably got bit by another kid, not an adult. You know what I'm saying? 1,000 pounds. I saw this video the other day where this lion cub was, was in like this zoo, and I don't know why in the world they would do this, but they're playing tug of war with three pro wrestlers. So there's like three pro wrestlers, like just like, just got their hands on this rope and they're just pulling it with everything they've got. 
And on the other end, the camera like just moves over and it's this lion cub with the rope in her mouth and she wins. Okay, lions are no joke. Okay, so lion's den, like that is bad. Like you get thrown in there, it's bad. Hopefully that helps. So Daniel, he heard the news of this law, but he still did his usual thing. He prayed to God like he normally would because he had made up his mind who he'd serve. And that's a theme that continues to run through the story. Daniel had purposed, he had resolved who he was going to serve. And, and, and so I, I pray that our generation, that this, this generation of Jesus followers, this, this young adult generation, would be one that would follow in the footsteps of Daniel and be one that would refuse to bow down to the kings of this world. That, that we would be purposed and determined to serve God regardless of what everybody else is doing, regardless of what culture is doing, regardless of what the news says, that we wouldn't be a generation of Christians that just faded into history because we weren't willing to stand up for what we believe in to go against the grain. What will our generation be remembered for? Will, will it be for compromising our faith or for holding on to it even though it was hard? We are under pressure as followers of Jesus in this time. And so the question is, how will we handle that pressure? That's up to you to decide tonight. These officials, they, 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 they bust into Daniel's room while he's praying and they bring him before the king and they accuse him of breaking this new law. And this puts the king into a, a predicament because he liked Daniel, but he also felt he needed to stick to his law that he had made. And so let's read and see what happens. This is Daniel 6, 14 through 18. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. In other words, nothing you can do about it. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. And so the king decides to stick to the law, throws Daniel into the lion's den, and he tells him, Hey, I hope that this God that you continue to serve delivers you. I hope that he comes through for you. And I'm sure Daniel was thinking the same thing. Let's keep reading and see how the story ends. This is verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So the next day, they go to check on Daniel. They roll back the stone, and Daniel is alive. Okay, that kind of sounds familiar. 
The king calls out to Daniel and he asks him, hey, did your God come through for you? And Daniel replies and says, yeah, he did. He, he sent an angel and he closed the lion's mouths and no harm was on Daniel. And the story actually ends, if you keep reading, it ends with the, the king taking those guys who accused Daniel and their families and throwing them into the lion's den, which is pretty savage, right? That's the part that doesn't make it into Sunday school. So as we read this, you know, this, this, this series is we're, we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. It's an arrow that points to him. And so as we read that story through the lens of Jesus, knowing that he was the plan all along, how does this story point us to him? Well, centuries later, just as Daniel left his home, Jesus would leave his throne. And just as there was no fault found in Daniel, there was no fault found in Jesus. And just as, Jesus, uh, just as Daniel was punished unfairly, Jesus was punished unfairly. And just as Daniel faced lions, Jesus faced our sin. And just as the stone rolled away from the lion's den, it rolled away from the tomb of Jesus. And just as God had shut the mouths of the lions, he had shut the mouth of sin. And just as Daniel had been found alive, Jesus had resurrected. The, the purpose of the story of Daniel is to point us to the work of Jesus Christ, and so the God who, who orchestrated the survival of Daniel, the God who orchestrated the, the resurrection of Christ, he also orchestrated our salvation, right? He, he walked in the pressure of the fire. He was there in the pressure of the lion's den. He was there in the pressure at the cross. And he's there in the pressure of your life when you're feeling the pressure, when you feel caught in the middle, when you're getting pulled in two directions. And so I challenge you tonight to make your decision now to serve God, to love God, to honor God, to, to, to live for him with all that you got so that when things get hard, your mind is made up. I'll face the fire. I'll face the world. I'll face the lions because I have resolved, I have determined that when it gets hard, my faith will not falter. Go ahead and stand up with me. Hopefully y'all can't even sit still. I'd encourage you tonight as the band comes up, make that decision. Make that decision. Choose who you're going to serve. Draw that line in the sand. This generation of, of, of Jesus followers, we, we, it, this generation needs Jesus followers that won't shrink back when things get hard. And so let's worship tonight as a response to what Jesus did for us. But let's also walk out of here tonight and live with our minds made up about who God is. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the story of Daniel. I thank, for, thank you for his faithfulness, his boldness to stand up for you, God, even when it looked like it was gonna cost him his life. So God, I, I thank you, God, that how, it, how that mirrors, how that foreshadows what you were gonna do hundreds of years later on a cross where you weren't facing lions, God, you were facing our sin. And just like you shut the mouths of the lions, you shut the mouth of sin. It has no power over us anymore. So God, I pray right now that we'd set aside the distractions. God, I speak against the work of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus, that we'd worship you because of what you've done for us, because you've secured our eternity. You died to set us free. You rose again. We have victory in you. And I pray, God, tonight that every single one of us, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, would make the conscious decision tonight to choose to serve you to honor you and to love you and to not shrink back when things get hard. In Jesus' name, amen.